It's always a good sign when there's a guest preacher that there's not an audible groan when he gets up there. So I'm going to take that as a good sign this morning. So David and Christy got caught up in all this Southwest flight trouble. And so they are not here this morning. So we'll be praying for them as they make their way back. They're having to drive back home rather than fly back home. So um, they'll be home later today but we get the the Adams kids are here today so I don't don't think I've ever actually preached when when an Adam was here so it's kind of nice to have one I feel like I should tell a story about their childhood just to enlighten you about it but I won't this morning so uh it was interesting earlier in the week when David called me and said he's not going to make it back and said you're up figure something out and so um I began to just seek the Lord and thought through what do you want me to say And it's easy to just kind of go to your quiet time or stuff that you've been studying. Um, But I really like this time of year because it's a a time of year where I think we we take time to reflect, think over everything that's happened in the last year. I I hope you have. Um, And then maybe make new... Yeah, we make resolutions, but they're kind of iffy. We give them resolutions for about a week. You know, we buy the treadmill that we put our clothes on after about a week that becomes a nice clothes holder and... You know, we, we resolve that. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Well, every other day. Okay, every day, but the weekend. Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll hear it on Sunday mornings. We go through these moments because we reviewed our life and we looked and we know we're lacking. We know there's, there's things that we are not where God wants us to be. And I, I hope you have wrestled through that with, as a family and that you've thought through. And not just, you know, health and I want a better job and those kind of things, but really... What really matters? And the more I thought about what to teach this morning, I thought, what what matters above all else? What is the most important decision that any human being must confront? And so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And if you're one of those people that are like, man, when does this guy end? So here's, here's the struggle when you're a guest preacher. There's a lot in Scripture that's really good. So... I wanted to ask Omar if I could go for like four hours. We just brought in some pizza and just kept going because there's so much good stuff. But I won't do that to you. It's going to be pretty simple. We're going to go 1 through 23. So the closer I get to 23, the closer you can go, okay, he's about to wrap this thing up. I can see it. In the, but don't, don't hold me to that. But I promise I won't, I won't preach pray at the end because we all know what that is. We've, we've been in services where the pastors run a little late. And so he, he adds time at the end by saying, by talking to God, but really he's still preaching. It's almost like point four, Lord, during this prayer. I just need these people to hear this. And so I won't do that at the end. We'll stay in the passage of scripture. And so we're gonna just go verse by verse through this. And I think, I think Jesus has a lot to say to us this morning for this new year. And, and this is an important passage of scripture. And I, I want you to see how it's set up, how important it is. So we're gonna begin in verse one. Of chapter 13 and it says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea now that seems like a simple sentence he's just moving on it seems like Matthew is just setting up the scene but this is an important moment and I want you to hear this because he's going to repeat it in the next verse but it says that Jesus sat by the sea so whenever you see that in your Bible when when a teacher sits down that should get your attention you should underline that you should stop and say oh Something big's about to happen. You know, composers will do this with music um, in movies. Um, 
My parents let me see Jaws way too early. So I saw it when I was a real little kid. Still kind of freaks me out. But uh, I saw it when I was really little. And I can remember after seeing Jaws, even being in like public pools, I'd be swimming out when I was fourth or fifth grade and I'd be swimming in the deep end and I would see the grates down at the bottom. And I would think, okay, those grates go to the sewer. And if, if the mutant ninja turtles have taught us anything, the sewers are big circles that are huge that water flows through and it flows all the way to the ocean. So if the water flows to the ocean, then something can swim up those tubes, come out of that grate. And you know what I'd hear in my head as I was swimming in the deep end? Dunna, yeah. Dun, dun. And I, I mean, I could, even today it gives me a little heart palpitations just even thinking about it. And it's because it was set up. I, it was something big was coming. You know when you hear that music, other movies will use that sound and you'll think, oh, something big's about to happen. And that's what's happening here. That Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to get our attention. Because in ancient times, it was the opposite of what we do now. In ancient times, when a teacher wanted people to be quiet and listen, he would sit down. And you'll see it throughout the New Testament. There's, there's, there's a reason why it's recorded. It's not so that we can get a visual picture of what Jesus looked like and what he was doing. It's so that we can understand something important was happening. You'll see it over and over throughout Scripture. You'll see he'll say, Jesus sat down and began to teach. There'll be other times when Jesus is walking around and people will interact with him. They'll call out questions to him while he's walking. You know, my brother stole my inheritance. What should we do? Or I, I have this issue. When he's walking, they were free to interact with him. But when he sat down, he wanted silence. Because something he was about to say was very important. And so Matthew not only says it here in verse 1, but if you look at verse 2, it says, And the great crowds gathered about him. So they got into a boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now, I'm a visual person, so think about this for a moment. Think about this picture that's taking place. The crowds have gathered. He's probably in the sea in Tiberias. And so the hills come down to the sea. And so the crowds are beginning to push upon him, trying to listen. So he gets up from sitting down, and he gets into a boat and sits out a little bit. And so the crowds are now up, and they're standing up listening to him as he begins to teach. And they're mesmerized and honing in because as he sits down, they know something big is about to be said. And so, in verse 3, he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, this is a quick little verse, and depending on your translation, it may translate a little different. A sower went out to sow, but the ESV actually leaves a word out here. There's a, there's a small little Greek word that's actually before a sower went out to sow, and it's the, the word I do. Now, that's, that's how you pronounce it in Greek. It's not I do, but I do is the word, and it literally means listen. Like Jesus' first word in this parable as he began to teach is listen, or your translation may say behold, or it, or it might say um, pay attention. Like even at this moment, Jesus is building there's more and more importance coming to this passage. He has sat down and now he has said, listen to what I'm about to say. I want you to understand the urgency of this. And here's a little, little side note. Let me chase this rabbit for just a minute. 
This may be my only rabbit. I can't promise that. But let me chase this one rabbit for a minute because you might be thinking, well, why did the ESV leave it out? I mean, that's an important moment. There, there is a science and an art form to translation. I mean, it, it's not so easy to be able to say, oh, I just want a Bible that's word for word. I mean, I just want it. Well, you wouldn't be able to read a Bible that's word for word. It would be so choppy. And anybody who studied multiple languages or speaks multiple languages knows when you translate, it's never word for word exactly. You just can't do it that way. When uh, we were learning Turkish, uh, I can remember the, uh, being fascinated that they didn't have a word in Turkish for the word curb. You know how we have a curb on the street. And they had no word to describe it, so they just called it the sidewalk. And I thought, well, how confusing is that? What if I spit out gum on the curb? How am I supposed to translate that and if somebody read that translation and, and I said I spit out my gum on the sidewalk they would say oh you lied you did it on the curb but you said sidewalk you say no I mean they don't have a word for it so it is the sidewalk in Turkish it's not that in English and so there's a there's a nuance and, a, and an art form in translating and and that's why we have so many different translations and I want you to hear this because I think often pastors with the right heart will almost make people feel like in the church if you don't speak in the original language then you can't be saved I mean there, there are some pastors I've seen that I've walked out of service and thought wow man I don't even know why I have an English version if I don't go speak Greek then I must not know what the Bible says hear me when I say this the God of the universe speaks all languages and he knew there would be a day we would be sitting in this room 2,000 years after the coming of Christ that we would be speaking English. What you have in your hands is enough for salvation. So I just want you, I don't want you to ever feel, now, now there can be some things brought out by the language because I think this is interesting. I think it's, it's important that Jesus said, listen, and many translations have it in there. It's an important moment. And so there is some nuances that come out from the original languages, but I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, don't need that Bible. I need to go get a different one. What you have is good for salvation. But there is an important moment about to happen here. We see this buildup that he sits down and then he tells them first thing, listen, a sower went out to sow. So somebody who's casting seeds. So a person who goes out to, to plant plants, he's casting seeds. And the sower went out to sow and as he sowed in verse four, some seeds fell along the path and birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked the other seed, uh, and choked them, up, choked them. Other seeds, verse eight, fell on good soil and pr produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this is a familiar passage of Scripture for many of you. If you've been in church at all or walked with the Lord, you're probably like, oh, I know what's about to come. And that's, that's often a problem for people when they read Scripture because we read it like we already know the ending. Um, my, my wife and I, we have a lot of old comedies because there's not a lot of good stuff that comes out on TV anymore. And so we rewatch the same comedies over and over when we want to watch something. We don't really do a lot of dramas because once you know what happens in the drama, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. You, you can only be surprised that he was dead the whole time once in a movie. It doesn't get you the next time. Well, 
Melissa has a tendency to forget movies very easily in shows, so it's always cracked me up that we'll watch a drama that we've seen before and she'll still go, oh! I'm like, we've seen this several times. How does it still surprise you? But for most of us, when we see something before, we don't see it over and over and over because we know what's going to happen in dramas. And unfortunately, I think we often do that to Scripture. We often come to it like a story we've read before. And we lose sight of the power of what is happening. Because Scripture, and I love, has been described as an ocean that is so deep that you will never touch the bottom, yet so shallow that you'll never drown. There's so much for us. And so my prayer is this morning that you don't read this thinking, oh, I know what's about to happen. I know what soil I'm in. I'm good to go. Well, that may actually be telling of what soil you really are in. But read this this morning like you've never heard it before. In an anticipation, because Jesus has spoken, he sat down and he said, listen. And then he tells this parable, which basically is a story that has a deeper meaning, but you've got to dig for it. You can't just listen to it on the surface. That's what a parable does. You can't just read it and go, oh, all right. So basically, as a farmer, I need to make sure I get good soil when I'm putting out. Well, that's true, but that's not what he's trying to teach here. Context is key. And so understanding who Jesus is talking to is very important. So we can, we can often get thousands of lessons from parables. And, and I've heard parables taught thousands of different ways i mean i think a great example is the parable of the um, prodigal son i mean you if you've been in church at all you've probably heard that thing taught a thousand times and i've heard i've heard it taught on from the prodigal son's viewpoint i've had it taught on from the pig's viewpoint i actually heard a guy teach on it from the pig's viewpoint that he ate the food with the guys and uh from the inheritance and then of course from the dad running out and then from the older brother and so there's there's lots of things you can gleam from a parable. And I'm not saying that's wrong because we could. I mean, when you leave this service today, hopefully there's lots of things you've heard that you could repeat. And so I learned this this morning. But believe it or not, I have a purpose, is what I'm saying, to an audience. There's a reason. And in every parable, there's an audience. And that audience is important to understand the parable. The, the prodigal son is a great example. The, the focus of the prodigal son is the Pharisees. They are the ones he's teaching to. So yes, all those other things are true in the parable, but there's one thing that they glean from that parable. They are the older brother. They are the ones who are angry that God, that the father would love this son that squandered his inheritance. And they were mad they were even being compared to the brother. That was the focus of the parable. So this morning, there's a lot of things we could teach, but I want you to hear what is the focus of, of this parable and you need to understand by looking at his audience so if you remember he said he, he taught it to them in this little verse right here in the beginning we see his audience is a group of people who are now seeking him this is a crowd that's come out to see him so this isn't jesus just wasn't walking on the street and one day and said hey i'm going to teach this parable to a bunch of people who wandered by these people have intentionally come to seek him so these are people who are seeking Jesus everyone I say that and then so they've come and now Jesus turns his attention to the disciples and he answered them to you so his audience shifts from the crowd to the disciples 
to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given for to the one who has more will be given and there will be an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away this is why I speak to them in parables so he explains this is why I'm doing it because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand indeed in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart was, has grown dull and their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them it's interesting that he would compare this crowd who had come out to see Jesus that he's saying they actually have not come to see me they've come for a different reason now he doesn't explain to us why but before we look at this passage and you think well this really isn't for me because I'm a disciple well I hope that's true but the fact is in a room this size I hope everybody here has come to see Jesus but just like this crowd there may be different motivations for that some in this crowd probably came to see a good show I mean by now they've heard man this guy walked on water I need to go see this I've never seen a guy walk on water let me go see what this is like maybe he'll walk on water that'd be cool to see some have probably heard that he's healing people and they think man I got a bad shoulder that'd be nice if I could run into this guy and he boop fix my shoulder for me some have heard this guy is supposed to conquer Rome he's going to be a powerful dude I better get to know him let's go see him I'm going to have to rub shoulders with this guy some have probably heard that he's feeding people left and right with nothing he's taking fish and loaves and multiplying them and they're probably like ooh I'm hungry this guy's got some food for me let me go get some provision from him others have heard man that guy brings coins out of fish's mouth I mean, he, he can make money appear out of anything maybe if I go see him he'll make me healthy wealthy and happy and wise and the problem is the crowds have not changed we often try and put ourselves in scripture and think who would I be in this story well here's a spoiler alert the story is not about you this book was not written about you you are not the hero of this book there is only one hero of this book and so often churches are filled with people who are seeking Jesus but missing him because they seek what he can do not who he is and we often as a people have made that true we, we often share the gospel in such a way that we forget that Jesus is the prize and we don't I don't I don't think we do it on purpose I hope we're not but we often will share Jesus in such a way we hear somebody struggling in their marriage and we'll think, just come to Jesus, he can heal your marriage. Well, that's a true statement. But is that the gospel? We hear somebody struggling in their job, just come to Jesus. 
He'll get you a better job. Somebody struggling with peace, come to Jesus. He'll give you peace. Those are all true statements, but they are subtly changing the gospel. Because at the core, what we've shared is come to Jesus for what he can give you. We act like we are the prize. I mean, you, in modern Christian worship songs, the majority of them you'll hear is like, God just can't wait to get to us. Oh, he's so heartbroken that we're lost. God is completely self-contained. He needs nothing. He does not need you. He does not need me. He is not impressed with our works or who we are. He is completely satisfied, satisfied within himself. But we have worth because he has given us worth. I can remember before we went to Turkey, hearing about the lostness. 80 million people without the gospel. And I remember thinking, and this is just, this is just a moment of confession. And I remember thinking, well, there's 80 million lost now, but we'll be there soon. <laughs> and I think now, how arrogant of a thought. But I really thought, man, I'm going to learn this language. The gospel is going to be so clear. I'm going to be walking down the street. The Turks are going to be falling on their knees. What must I do to be saved? Like for some reason, the missing piece was me. And I say that out loud now, but in my heart, I really thought that. God had a different plan. And one of the greatest things that I learned from my time overseas was God needed me for nothing. I was not the prize. He is. When we share the gospel, we should be able to say and be dumbfounded that somebody doesn't want Jesus. Not that, oh, we walk away and think, oh man, I must love these people more than you do, Jesus, because he just doesn't want you. We should walk away and say, how did you miss it? You are being invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe, the God who spoke creation into existence, that gave up everything, gave up his glory to come to earth in our place and pay our price. Not because we were worthy of it, but because of his great love for us. The gospel is not what he can do. It is who he is and the privilege to know him. It is my prayer as a church that we would learn to live lives worthy of this gospel. In verse 16, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it what did people long to see the fulfillment of the gospel the Old Testament ends with a question unanswered the question is simple. It was posed It was posed back in Job, the first book written, the oldest book written. And in Job, the question is asked over and over and over, how can sinful man be made right before a holy God? And the entire Old Testament then unfolds, and that question is never answered. And then we turn a page 400 years later, and all these people, and Peter would say, even angels long to look into the answer to that question. 
How can sinful man be made right before a holy God? And the answer is found in Christ alone. Now, as we look at these soils, remember, you haven't read this before. Try for a moment to read this like you've never read it before. And I want you for a moment to honestly, I'm not, nobody's raising hands. Nobody gets to nudge when we get to a soil and like, mm, there you are. None of that. But as we read this, in fact, for a moment, let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you speak? Would your word pierce our heart and souls this morning? And there would be none of us in this room that would leave today separated from you or feel safe in our lostness. Well, I pray for a moment we would hear your word challenge our thoughts and our minds and our hearts that we would seek your face you are worthy of worship we love you Lord and pray this in Jesus name amen so in verse 18 he says hear the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown on the path. So he begins to describe this first soil. Someone has heard the gospel, but they don't understand it. Now remember, these are people seeking God. Hear this church, this isn't somebody out on the streets. This is us in this room. We've heard the gospel. You may have heard the gospel your entire life. And if the gospel is anything than Christ alone, then you are lost and dead in your sins. And I need you to hear that because that's all that really matters for this year is knowing you are right with God, knowing you are walking with your creator. Because I cannot guarantee you we will see 2024. One way or the other, we will either see Jesus when he returns or we will see him when we close our eyes for the last time. And what he's saying here is this is someone who's heard the gospel, but they didn't understand it. Maybe they, it was twisted in their mind. Maybe it was Jesus plus. Maybe I'll just add him to other things. Maybe it was the idea of, well, I'm good enough. Well, I appreciate it, Jesus. I'll keep you in my back pocket. And in the end, when I see God, I'll be like, bam, Jesus, just in case. But in general, it's still about me. And I understand it. And the enemy comes in and snatches the gospel away. My prayer is no one would leave this room today without understanding the gospel. What it means. And then verse 20 says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. How many people come to Jesus like this? I mean, be honest in your heart and mind. I mean, we get Jesus and we're like, man, this is great news. Whew. I don't have to pay for my sins. I like that. I'll take it. 
the moment the gospel begins to cost us something, I didn't sign up for all of that. I mean, I took it in my joy. I mean, I just wanted to make me happy. I didn't know there'd be work involved with this. I think often churches are filled especially in the West with this type of faith because it's rarely tested I mean it just, it just rarely is I mean I'm not a sadist I'm not hoping for all of a sudden it would come and we'd all get tested but the fact is it rarely is, rarely is tested I mean our test often is getting up after New Year's when we were up too late and coming to church and staying awake when this other guy's teaching Whew, and I can see everybody, so stay awake. Don't think I can't see you with these lights. But that's, that's our suffering for Jesus. And I, I'm not downplaying the things that we need to commit to. But it often costs us very little. And so when real costs come, and notice he says when tribulation comes because of the word, not just general tribulation, not just, well, I lost my job, and so now I'm, digging deeper into Jesus because I need him to find me a new job or I'm having struggles in my marriage so I'm digging deeper into Jesus this is when trouble tribulation comes because of the word because God comes and says this is the truth of the gospel it will cost you how could it not if it costs the creator of the universe everything how can we think the gospel will cost us nothing In fact, what we find in the New Testament is the gospel will cost us everything. And that we should consider that. As I was being stripped away in our time in Turkey, when I was learning very quickly that I was not the missing piece for the Turkish people, I began to really wrestle. And really, at the end of year one, going into year two, I was struggling deeply in my walk with the Lord. Because there was everything had been stripped away. There was there were no other believers. There were very few believers, but we didn't have a community of believers around us. Three million people and less than a hundred believers in the entire city. There was no Christian music. We didn't have. I mean, Christmas Day there were no lights. I mean, we always complain about the festivities here, but man, when they're gone, it's, it's sad. And all of that had been stripped away, and I began to wonder: Is Jesus enough? Because in those moments of tribulation, when we turn to something else other than him, that is the question we have to answer. Have we put our faith and trust in the things about God? And even good things, church and family and relationships. Or we have, have we put them in Christ alone? Did we take it with our joy and in the moment trouble comes we're ready to walk away in verse 22 as for what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful oh. should we just skip that one? that one I don't think we like to talk about that one I mean, most of the time we read this and think, ooh, he's going to get Bill Gates. God's going to get Elon Musk. Those rich people are in trouble. When the fact is, he's talking to us. 
we are the richest people on the planet. I don't care how poor you are in this room, you are in the top five to 10% at the least richest people on the planet. Don't pass this off to somebody else. When the deceitfulness of wealth or the cares of this world, not troubles, the cares, the things we care about more than Jesus, the things we look at and think, well, that's not bad. I mean, it's family. I should love my family really well. Not more than Jesus. Jesus will not share us because he is the only one worthy of that devotion. I think these last few years with COVID, the economy, no matter where you find our politics, crazy politics in the United States. And it was interesting to watch it from overseas because I know we don't watch much that goes overseas in America, but the rest of the world watches what happens here. And to watch it from afar, it was interesting to see the church and the reaction from the church during these trying times. Because I think it exposed a lot of where people's trust was. Because I have never seen a church so afraid in my entire life. I remember coming back uh, for a stateside because we, we had a wedding and came back and a lady arguing with us that her rights were more important than anybody else hearing the gospel. I mean, she literally said that. I thought, what in the world? Where am I? How can this be? Because I believe the gospel clearly says when we were saved, we laid down all of our rights before our king. We have no rights. We don't need rights. We have a king who will fight for us. What are we worried about? Why are we afraid? If God is for us, who can be against us? What do we fear? Did the God of the universe step off of his throne for a moment? Was he no longer in control? The reason why this church was terrified was this verse. Because the cares of this world choked out the word. Years ago when I was in college, I took a, a three-month mission trip to the Middle East. And... Um, I was young and stupid, still young and stupid, but uh, even more so then. And, you know, I had raised support, so people had given us money, given me money to go on this trip, and, and so I wanted to come back with a great story because I was young and stupid, and I thought that's what mattered. And I remember early on, so because I wasn't learning language, I had three months, we were, our focus was college students. And, and mainly college students that were like in the school of medicine because they spoke English. And so these were all doctors and future doctors and pharmacists really were the main focus. And I met this young man named Mustafa early on, first couple of weeks I was there. And he was so interested. He was a little guy. And he had all these questions. And within the first week, he wanted a Bible. And I gave him a Bible and I thought, ooh, this is going to be a good story. I mean, they prepared us in training that nobody's probably going to come to faith because working in a Muslim country is very difficult and they need to hear their gospel over 50 times. There are all these excuses and I thought, bam, yep, this is it. 
And we began to meet every week, if not daily, for a long time. And there would be moments where he seemed to be going deeper and then moments where he wasn't and moments where he was. And so it went on for weeks, imagine that, weeks of the gospel being shared. And then I began to get frustrated because he seemed to now be getting further away from the gospel. And man, this must be confession morning, so... To my shame, I thought, I'm going to start avoiding this guy because he's taking a lot of my time and he's, he's not going to get saved. I'm not going to be able to tell anybody about him. It's funny, I'm telling this story now. And so I began to avoid him. And as closer we got to when we were going to return to the States, I mean, I was chasing stories rather than chasing the Lord. And I can remember being in line for lunch and I hear from behind me my name being called and I think, oh, that's Mustafa. I only have a few days left. I don't want this guy taking up all my time. So I turn around and I'm like, hey. and I try and get away. And of course he rushes to me. And so we end up sitting down and having lunch. And I'm clearly annoyed. I'm not hiding it. And he's sitting across from me and he's just being cordial and he has some questions. And I'm like, yeah, moving on. And so then he finally says, and he has really good English. And he says, I feel like you've been avoiding me. And I straight up lied, no, <laughs> no, of course not. No, I just, you know, I've been busy. I'm getting ready to go back to the States. And he said, I just want you to know, like what we've talked about has meant a lot to me. But several weeks ago, my father found the Bible you had given me. And he told me, if I become a Christian, he will give me three days to relent or repent. And if I don't, he will slice my throat. And I felt that big in that moment. Because I thought I'm sitting across from a young man who is considering the cost of the gospel for what it really is. It will cost him everything. And even if he comes to faith, he's gonna have to flee with nothing else, which means he can kiss that job as a doctor goodbye. You can kiss it all goodbye. And yet he sat there and said, I am considering these claims against everything. And I thought, oh my goodness. Most of the time what we wrestle with in the States is whether I'm going to be weird at work. Whether people might not think the same about me and my family. If I show up at, at Christmas dinner, am I going to be the designated prayer every time because I'm the one Christian in the room? We think that's the cost of the gospel. And yet the weight of the gospel is much more than that. And what I want you to hear this morning is it is worthy of that cost. Our God is worthy of everything we are. And then there's one last soil in verse 23. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one that hears the word and understands it. When Jesus was saying in the beginning, listen. This is where he wants people, listen. Understand what I'm telling you. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. This last soil hears the word and obeys it. There is fruit that is the result of it. If the God of the universe has come into your life and you are the same person you were before, I need to tell you this morning, you have not been changed. 
Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians, those outside the church, we do not judge. Lost people act lost. We should not be surprised by that. But in the church, we judge all things. And it's my greatest fear as a pastor in this church for anyone to leave this room and have an excuse that they did not tell me that I was lost. Because there will be many that will stand before Christ will will be on their face before Christ and he will say, away from me, I did not know you. So my question this morning is not do you know Christ, but does he know you? And I love that in this passage, Jesus doesn't say what the fruit is. But what he does say is there is evidence of repentance. There is a changed life. There is fruit from it. That true faith causes action. True faith needs a response, a changed life. And as you're thinking through 2023, my question to you would be, what is going to be different with your time with the Lord? Because if the God of the universe has taken up residence in your life, how can it be the same? There should be evidence of our faith. Now, nobody in this room knows who's saved. You don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if you're saved. I can say all the right words. I can say everything right, but the only thing you can judge is my actions. And they should be in response to the gospel. First John 5, I mean, the entire book of First John is written so that you would know you have salvation. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, I don't know, I'm never gonna know. You can know you can have salvation. But First John 5 tells us, those who love me obey my commands. And if you're sitting here thinking, what are his commands? Then maybe you should commit this year to actually be in God's word. We have never had a generation in human history that's had more access to the scripture and let it rest less than we have now. The greatest book ever written, we spend very little time with and then wonder why we don't know what God expects of us. There should be evidence of our faith. Charles Blondin was a famous tightrope walker in the 1850s. And he, he did amazing things. He, he started out in Europe and became famous, and then he came to the States. And he actually stretched a tightrope across uh, Niagara Falls, more than a quarter mile. And in July 19th, well, before that, or July, he did all these incredible things across a tightrope. He went across a tightrope in a sack once. He went across a tightrope with um, stilts, which is crazy. I wish I could have seen that. It was on stilts. He went across a tightrope. He had a little camping cooking machine device. I don't know, whatever worked in 1850. And he cooked an omelet while he went across on this tightrope. And in July 19th, 1859, he went across Niagara Falls and he got to the Canadian side and he got a wheelbarrow and he got a blindfold and he walked backwards with the wheelbarrow all the way back to the United States side. And after he got done, he jumped off and the crowds ooh and awed. And they had seen him do all these amazing things. And he said, I'm going to do something much easier on the way back to Canada. I'm going to take off the blindfold and I'm going to walk forward. Does, does anybody believe I'm going to fall? And of course, there was no, the crowd loved it. 
Does everybody here believe I can do it? Yes. Then he said, I need somebody to get in the wheelbarrow. And the crowd did exactly what we did. <laughs> the crowds had seen what he could do. They'd seen him go across still, I mean, a high wire on stilts. And yet, when their belief was asked to become more than belief, they stood and watched. It is my prayer that as a people, we stop becoming the crowd that is unwilling to get in the wheelbarrow. That we become a people who know God, know his word, know what is expected of us. And our lives reflect a true faith. And that we would see fruit of 130, 60 fold, whatever that may be. I hope you hear me this morning. I love you with all of my heart. And my greatest fear, and it should be, I think, for any pastor, is that you would not understand the gospel, that you would be deceived and think you were okay when you are dead in your sins. So for the next few moments, I would challenge you to just spend some time with the Lord, to ask him to seek your heart, to show you where there is sin, and then to repent and turn from those. There's nothing magical about an altar. We'll, we'll actually have deacons and their wives up here. So if you want somebody to pray with you, we will pray with you. There's nothing unique about it, but we do this time of invitation for a time of reflection. Because right now, only you and God's spirit know exactly what's happening in your heart and mind. No one else. And the question is, will you one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will you hear away from me? I did not know you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. thank you that you are worthy of worship. You are not a God who is far off or distant from us, but you know everything about us, everything we have done, everything we are doing, everything we will do. And yet in that, you found us worthy to leave everything and not just pay for our sin, but adopted us as your children. I pray, Father, right now, if there's anyone in this room, and I know in a room this side, there are. If there's anyone in this room that does not know you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. That you would convict of sin. And that we would be men and women who fall on our face before you cry out. We are sinful people and desperate for you to save us.